Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your host, Dusty Jones, and joining me is Joel Amadon. Hey, Joel. Hey, Dusty. Good to see you. Uh, Good to see you, too. Uh, Today, we're talking with Marilyn Stretchens, who's the acting department head and Emily R. and Gerald S. Leeschuk Endowed Professor for Critical Needs in Education and Mildred Cheshire Fraley Distinguished Professor at Auburn University. We're talking with Marilyn because she's an AMTE past president and has a wealth of research, service, and teaching experiences that will help us all learn to teach math teachers better. And she's been on the list to be on this podcast since its inception. So we're glad that we finally get a chance to talk with you, Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and I'm happy to be here with you both today. Great, thanks. Uh, Could you take a minute to introduce yourself, maybe beyond what I've already said? Sure, Dusty. I'm glad, again, to be here with both of you. And just to let you know a few things about me beyond what was stated. Um, And as as Dusty mentioned, I am currently serving as the Department Head for Curriculum and Teaching, and I'm glad that that's coming to an end on June 1st. There'll be a little (laughs) transition period um, through July, but I'm excited about returning fully to being a math teacher educator. And actually, I haven't stopped um, teaching, nor have I stopped doing research. One of the things that um, we've been really excited about over the past few years is the Math Teacher Education Partnership, Mm -hmm. of which I'm a member of, and also on the planning and leadership team. And um, the research action cluster that I'm a leader of is the Clinical Experience Research Action Cluster. And one thing that I've been particularly involved with is the paired placement sub-research action cluster. And in the paired placement, we pair two teacher candidates with one mentor teacher. And that's been really exciting work for us because within the classroom, the mentor teacher and the teacher candidates form a professional learning community. And I see how our teacher candidates really grow in this situation. They appear to be more as colleagues than um, students needing someone to nurture them through the internship spirit, the internship experience. And and also I see them seeing themselves as um, working more toward equity in the classroom. They can pay attention to each and every student what they need and they also grow more because you have three people in the classroom you have um, two people with their eyes on your instruction while you're teaching and that enables them to look at different aspects of your teaching while you're teaching and so I feel like they really grow in that situation they become more collaborative reflective and um, just really thinking about students more in general than I would say the traditional uh, teacher candidate going through an internship experience. That sounds like an outstanding model there. I'm excited to to hear more about that. Um, yeah, I'm putting a pin to, to I, I got a question. So you got a question there? Up. Okay, Joel, yeah, yeah. Joel, make sure we get back there. All Thanks. Right, we'll do it. So before we get into that, Marilyn, we like to uh, think back to ha- talk to our guests and think back to how they started. So how did you start in teaching math teachers or, or maybe why did you start teaching math teachers? Well, 
To be honest, I am a career changer. I have a degree in fashion merchandising. Oh, wow. And as an undergraduate, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And um, as an undergraduate student, I tutored students and I worked with Upward Bound programs. And um, a lot of the work that I did outside of uh, becoming an assistant buyer and getting involved in fashion merchandising dealt with tutoring students' mathematics. And so I've always had a love for mathematics. When I was high school, I had one of the highest averages in my senior class in mathematics. But at that time, um, people didn't really encourage students to go into teaching as much because, you know, like they all, even teachers saw other careers as more exciting. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in high school, I had my own fashion show. So people just knew that the glamorous life was where I was headed. (laughs) But then... um, I received my degree in fashion merchandising and I became an assistant buyer. And during the time that I was an assistant buyer, I worked with my church's tutorial program. Mm -hmm. And I found that I got more satisfaction out of tutoring the students than I did as being an assistant buyer. And um, the company that I was working with merged with another company and our buying offices moved And I didn't love it enough to move. So I took a bonus and a severance pay and went back to school in mathematics education. And I actually ended up going to the University of Georgia, which at that time was one of the strongest departments of mathematics education in Mm -hmm. the country. (laughs) And I went back there because that's where I got my um, undergraduate degree from. Nice. And so I was just excited to be able to interact with the people at the University of Georgia. And then it also um, enabled me as uh, in in terms of going back and going into teaching to really um, focus in on some of the things that I saw that students were having trouble with when I was tutoring them. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I wanted to learn ways of being able to help them to be more proficient and to have more effective strategies than counting on their fingers, you know, with the basic facts and things like that. And so going to Georgia was was really exciting for me. Um, I ended up, I was going back to get initial certification, but then um, while I was there, I had the opportunity to keep going on a fellowship and I got all kinds of um, opportunities to teach to teach, I worked for a year at a middle school. I taught at a community college. I can I resumed my work with the Upward Bound program, um, both um, tutoring and teaching classes on Saturdays. So, um, so I really got a lot of experience while I was at the University of Georgia that really helped me to be prepared to work with teachers. And one reason why I decided to continue on beyond um, just getting certified and going to my own classroom, I thought about if I could help teachers to be more effective with each and every student, then I would be doing more as a change agent than I would Mm -hmm. if I only were in my own classroom. And um, and I really wanted to make a difference for a lot of students. That's great. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, this question was great. Like, did not know that we'd be going through the fashion world. This is great. I'm wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, when yeah, it was interesting because as an assistant buyer, um, I spent most of my time in a cubicle crunching numbers. <laughs> oh wow! And I. 
And, and what was interesting to me is that when I was in high school, I was offered the opportunity and I didn't know that much about um, internships or I hadn't even thought about going into um, like any kind of space program or mm -hmm. any kind of air force. I was offered a intern, you know, a, an opportunity to do some work with the Warner Robins Air Force Base and stuff like that. Cause I was good in mathematics, but I thought like I would just end up being in a cubicle or something. If I went into <laughs> engineering, I ended up being in a cubicle as a fashion <laughs> <laughs> merchandiser as being an assistant buyer, because we spent a lot of time figuring out open to buy, trying to determine whether or not, um, we were actually selling items or if people were scanning everything under one item number instead of the, you know, it was just <laughs> oh, wow. interesting. You know how when you go through the lines in a grocery store and um, people scan and instead of scanning every separate item, sometimes they scan one item, even if they are different colors. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And so it, it messes up the skewed numbers <laughs> for the people in the buying offices. And so to me, it was just, um, it wasn't as I did a lot of work with numbers and statistics and I loved that, but I, it wasn't the glamorous life that I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we've learned that you, uh, did your initial work with teaching at the University of Georgia. I'm sure you had some, some great mentors there and, and probably some others from outside of, of that uh, organization. Uh, what advice, uh, did, uh, and I'm sure you got a lot of advice, but I guess we're wondering what's some of the best advice that you received when you started out uh, teaching math teachers? For me, I guess the best advice that um, I was given is that teachers need to um, be taught in the kind of classroom environment that you would like for them to be able to execute in the classroom. And so um, as a mathematics teacher educator, whether I'm working with pre-service teachers or working with veteran teachers in the field, I try to provide them with opportunities to learn in a way in which I would like for them to provide for their students. Mm -hmm. And like um, one of the things, one of the projects that I was a part of is called Team Math Transforming East Alabama Mathematics. And we worked with teachers for over probably about um, 15 years in that pro project in different ways. And one of the things that we would do during our professional development when we had like K through 12 teachers in the same room is do a team math challenge problem. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was usually a non-routine problem that could challenge everyone in the room in different ways. And, and it was just nice to see how um, our elementary teachers were able to solve the same problem using different methods mm -hmm. than our um, middle and high school teachers. And I think a lot of times our middle and high school teachers, teachers learn from our elementary teachers in the way that they solve problems because they thought outside of the box differently from the way that they did. Because oftentimes, um, you know, like as you move up in the grades, you learn how to use different algorithms and you learn, mm -hmm. you use algebra and all of that. Whereas um, an elementary teacher might simply draw a picture yeah, and get right. that solution much quicker. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. Trying to 
um, colon algebra. And so, and then I think it also in those situations, it helps teachers to think about valuing all students' responses mm -hmm. and looking for um, the great mathematical thinking going on within their thought processes. That's, those are great. Uh, that, I think it was just the, the one we've recently done with Tim Hendricks, where he mentioned something similar to uh, helping teachers uh, uh, giving teachers opportunities to be learners in the same sort of environment that they want to be, that, that we want them to teach, uh, that we want that. You said it better than I did. I'll go back and listen to this later uh, and, and uh, get that down. But that's, that, that's a good theme. That, that's, that's great advice. Is there other advice that you would give to people starting out on this role besides what you've already mentioned? Well, I think um, to not compare yourself to other people, and, but to really think about what it is that you want to help your teachers to accomplish. What are your goals for your um, teachers and also the goals for their students? And keep your eye on that in terms, and to um, really stay abreast of innovations in the field as much as possible, um, attend conferences, mm -hmm. Um, set up writing groups or working groups across institutions where you can learn from each other. One of the things that we often talk about as being a part of the math teacher education partnership is how much we are learning from each other as well as helping to transform our programs. And it's because like oftentimes someone will have, even though you might have the same interests, someone else might be looking at literature totally different from the literature that you're reading. And so you just constantly grow. And, mm -hmm. then, and, and then also being open enough to really um, think about issues that are brought to you, like, and, and also knowing where you stand. <laughs> stand. So it's like being open on the one hand, but knowing where you stand and what's important to you. And, um, and that comes out in the work that you do with your teachers, your um, teacher candidates and um, teachers in the field. I know like for me, equity has been a lens for me and it's a strand through all of the work that I do. And so, um, so my, I guess my advice would be to really know who you are and to know um, what it is that you want mm -hmm. your teachers to walk away with. And, um, and I really think like the AMTE standards for preparing teachers of mathematics are a good start for people who are unsure what their goals should be for their um, teachers and, and for preparing them well. Um, I think that's a good place to start is to really read through the standards for preparing teachers of mathematics, um, read through a lot of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics documents like um, Principles to Action, Ensuring Mathematical Success for All, um, Catalyzing Change, Initiating Critical Conversations. Um, and there are other um, books that I think would really help um, beginning teacher educators. Um, it's to, just to me, it's just really important. Like when you attend um, conferences like um, AMTE, you're attending to get professional development for yourself. 
-hmm. Whereas when you attend NCTM or NCSM, oftentimes we're presenting, not that we're not learning from our audience and our participants, but it's a different kind of interactions mm -hmm. that occur. And so going to AMTE, I think, um, really helps um, novice math teacher educators to be exposed to um, what others are doing in the field. Like you, with the strands that are available, if you are deeply into technology, you can learn about a lot about integrating technology into your classroom. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to understand equity issues more broadly, I mean, like now we often have a, a lot of equity sessions mm -hmm. at AMTE. And it's kind of really good to, to go to a variety of those sessions so that you can learn like broader perspectives on equity issues and, and, and just talk to people and, and hear what they have to say. Yeah. That's all great advice. Um, we got, We've got a lot of gems in there. Thank you, Marilyn, for sharing that. Uh, Joel, uh, do you have a a question here? That well, just an observation. I mean, mm -hmm. just seeing like the you know the the advice uh, that you had about like knowing who you are and what's important, but then also at the same time you talked about like wanting students to uh, experience how to teach within a great clinical experience, and then also within your introduction talking about the paired placement and your part in the MTEP project working with clinical experience is like, and here's the example. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not just, this is not just a advice that I'm just throwing out there and who, you know, but I'm actually taking and using it. So it's like just an observation, like, Hey, let's connect these dots here and, and see, so, you know, you know, Marilyn's really following along with, with what she's saying here. So that's great. And then, um, but also too, just, I'm, I'm also curious, like who are the people that you had a chance to work with while you were at Georgia? I worked with um, Jim Wilson. He was actually my major professor. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, what, one of the things that I really like about him was he enabled me to do the research that I wanted to do, even mm -hmm. though that wasn't necessarily his area of expertise. Like um, I worked with um, Laurie Reyes. Um, she has, she's done a lot of work in equity, um, looking at factors that impact students in the mathematics classroom. And she had done a lot of work at that time. And um, George Stanick. Also, I worked with um, Mary Atwater, who is um, a science professor. But um, during the time when I was in graduate school, she, she had a series of um, seminars where she invited people to come in who were um, experts in the area of multicultural education. Mm. And so I was able to be an editor on the book that came out at that time and to interact with people like Walter Sakata, um, oh, Jane yeah. Kaylee Butler, James Anderson, um, just people who were kind of pioneers in the areas of multicultural education. And then um, also worked with Pat Wilson. Um, she also had a project related to culture inclusive mathematics. Um, I ended up working with um, a graduate student at that time named Julio. Um, wow, I can't think of Julio's last name, Mascarera. And um, he and I, we, um, we did a, 
annotated bibliography together. Mm -hmm. And I really learned a lot. Julio loved to read. So I learned <laughs> a lot from Julio. And nice. um, he was just an awesome person to hang out with and learn from. And then, so while I was at Georgia, it really gave me the opportunity to really dig deeply into multicultural education, equity issues, and culture inclusive mathematics. And so, um, so it was just a wonderful experience for me. And nice. um, also worked, my, some of my professors were um, Jeremy Kilpatrick. Yes. Um, yeah. He was a, a strict editor. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned how to write with a lot of the um, oh my gosh. people with whom I attended class. <laughs> like sliding a paper over to Jeremy Kilpatrick. Like, okay, here we go. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is like, you know, you think you have had done like a... Oh, you know, like you had done a tremendous job on a paper and then you see all this red and you're like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> but it helped you to learn how to write. And then um, uh -huh. my half, um, Neil Pateman, um, he's, um, I think, he, yeah, he's retired now. He was a um, math ed professor and he mainly worked out of um, University of Hawaii but he was there as a visiting professor. Mm -hmm. And I actually got an opportunity to um, be his graduate assistant in an elementary methods class. And nice. he, he taught me about using Cuisinaire rods. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and it was just awesome, you know, like learning from him and, and thinking about mathematics in a different way, yeah. you know, and... So I just had, and even with Dr. Wilson, my major professor, I took a problem solving class with him. And I'll never forget waking up in the middle of the night, um, solving an aha problem that he had given. <laughs> and so, so it was just, it was just like, like I experienced graduate school in a way that I would want my students to experience graduate school. Mm -hmm. And also um, it just really set, the bar for me in terms of really thinking about what teachers need and the experiences that they need. That's great. That's yeah. great. Uh, speaking about experiences that teachers need and, and tying this back to some of the clinical experience discussion that we had at the beginning and a little bit about what we talked about before we hit record. Um, I, I'd like for you, if you could uh, talk about the importance of clinical experiences in the development of math teachers and um what gets pushed aside or overlooked as, as we're trying to structure these, these sorts of things? I think is um, I think clinical experiences are, if not the most ex important experiences that our teacher candidates have in our program, they're up there at the top because that's where they really learn the craft of teaching. Uh, um, they're out there with their mentor teachers, really thinking about students and how they learn. And they're not, and in, in fact, they're not just thinking about how they're learning, they're creating environments in which the students are learning. And so I feel that clinical experiences are, are very important. Um, sometimes um, at the higher ed level, um, some programs do not necessarily work closely with their mentor teachers. Mm -hmm. And and that's problematic because then they then they don't really have control of 
whether or not there's an alignment between what their teacher candidates learn in their program and what they experience out in the schools. And one of the things that we've been very fortunate with is that we've provided a lot of PD for teachers in, in our surrounding areas, and we've developed relationships over time. And they're not just one-way relationships, they're bi-directional mm. between us and our school partners. And then um, we've been fortunate to be able to um, place our secondary teacher secondary math education teacher candidates with the teachers. Like we suggest who they are placed with. And um, that's been really helpful for us because we know the teachers personally. Um, we've had them in some of our graduate classes or in some of our PD sessions. And so I just think it's really important, like when we think about clinical experiences, for there to be a bi-directional relationship between higher ed and the mm -hmm. schools in which the students are placed. And it's important that um, we understand the teacher's practices and whether or not they are in alignment with the um, practices that we're advocating in our classrooms. And then, um, and then it's important for our teacher candidates to know prior to going out into the schools, what it is we want them to be able to accomplish, what goals we mm -hmm. want them to have for their students and for themselves. And, um, and one of the things like beyond the pair placement, um, we have a sub rack that focuses on co-planning and co-teaching. And we use a lot of their materials in working with our um, pair placement model, mm -hmm. because it's really important for the teacher candidate and the mentor teachers to be able, well, the teacher candidates in our case with the pair placement, to be able to work well with the mentor teacher, to be able to plan lessons, to be able to orchestrate the classrooms classroom together from time to time. And so um, having the co-planning, co-teaching subrack has also benefited us as a part of our clinical experience research action cluster. And then we also have a group that focuses on, on methods and mm -hmm. they have been creating modules that um, enable the teacher candidate and the mentor teacher to learn about particular issues related to teaching together so that when they're in the field together, they have a, a shared understanding. Like one of the modules focused on the standards for mathematical practice. Mm -hmm. um, another one focuses on feedback. And then um, another one on lesson planning. So it's just like, we're trying to really think about the continuum of field experiences that teacher candidates have. And then also, the thread that, or the lens that we're looking at in, in order to develop these clinical experiences is an equity lens. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking about what practices do our students need to, um, to start developing prior to going out in the school for their teacher internship experience or the teacher residency experience. And the paired placement, like, it would seem like, um, and just to go back to that, because I just had a question from before, thinking about like the two versus, you know, the two candidates with the one mentor teacher, and again, making up their own PLC makes sense. 
but also too, do you find that the, and I'm just, I'm, I'm putting some assumptions out there and just seeing if they line up is like that second person that's watching the teaching. Cause it's hard as, as a pre-service teacher to think about your own teaching in the moment. You're probably just thinking like, how do I make sure I'm know the words to say or whatever? Like, they're like, where's the worksheet there? Where's the handout? Like, what am I supposed to do? Um, or what problem am I, am I trying to address versus like that second person can like, Hey, I know the things that I'm bringing, we're bringing from our program that we're looking for, whether it's the, like you said, an equity lens that we're looking at, like, Hey, how is engagement going across this, uh, this lesson or the other things that they've been learning and emphasizing within their supervisor and within their program is like adds weight to that sort of, um, either point of view or emphasis. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability. And, And so like when it comes down to like giving feedback, I'm sure like the other clinic, the other um, candidate, teacher candidate that's sitting there with with the mentor teacher, like making sure that it's not overwhelmed as just one perspective. That it's hey, we're also bringing the perspective of what we're trying to do in our program, as well as the perspective. Is do you see that sort of dynamic play out within your those paired placements? Yes, uh, and um, so like our aim as a part of our clinical research action cluster is for our teacher candidates to be able to implement the math teaching practices from the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics um, principles to action ensuring mathematical success for all. And so like they know those eight mathematics teaching practices by the time they get in the field. And so then observe their teacher implementing those practices or they may observe their peer or then they start like ensuring that those practices are visible in their lesson plans and then when the university supervisor comes out the the person is also giving them feedback on how well they're beginning to implement those practices beautiful and then so like during the paired placement experience we have particular observation protocols that we give to the teacher or the um, other pair member, other member of the pair who's not the lead teacher. And so then like it may focus on questioning or it may focus on um, who's being called on for particular things or how the person is interacting with the students as a whole and so on. And so like using those observations and we got a lot of our ideas from um, Lathan and Peterson who's done a lot of work with paired placement. And so like um, using those protocols really helps for debriefings after the lesson is discussed, after the lesson is over. And so it gives them a starting place to to start talking about the strengths and weaknesses of the lesson. Like the the lead candidate, teacher candidate will will start out talking about her strengths and weaknesses, but then she can also ask, well, you focus on this aspect of my teaching. What do you think? How did I do with that? But then also while the person is observing the other person teach, they're actually thinking more deeply about that aspect of teaching too. Nice. So they're growing in a lot of different ways. They learn, they um, may get ideas from each other while one person teaches and the other one assists and so on. And then sometimes they might even do parallel teaching where the teacher and the two teacher candidates each have a group of students 
that they're working with, and then they debrief after that. And so like there are a lot of different ways that they are learning from each other, learning from observations, learning from assisting each other, learning from um, debriefing afterwards. And then you, you also have the um, university supervisor who comes in and talks to them about things that are going on and how well their teaching comes in and observes. So then you may have that fourth person too coming into the picture nice. as well. But it's, um, to me, it's really nice. And then sometimes even the teacher is able to take risks that he or she might not take if it were only um, them in the classroom. Like the, uh, we've had some teachers say that they've done more explorations with having a pair in their classroom than they would have done, or more, more I guess, more um, explorations that in which the students are doing more movement and doing other things than they would have if they were alone in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And they like, uh, and one teacher, uh, mentor teacher stated that um, having the pair was like having colleagues that she normally didn't have because she was the only geometry teacher in mm. the high oh, school. Yeah. And nice. so then you're creating this professional learning community mm -hmm. as well that's focused on students. And we found that um, sometimes the trio have found like a student that seemingly didn't what a student that. Um, so sometimes we found that the um, trio together have found students who were seemingly not paying attention or not with it in the classroom. Like sometimes they found that a student might have a learning disability that mm -hmm. wasn't um, stated in an IEP. Mm -hmm. Or like one student um, couldn't, couldn't hardly see the board. <laughs> and, you know, and they wonder like when he got up to do something on the board, it looked scattered and all over the place because <laughs> he couldn't see. And then they had his parents to have his eyes checked and he really needed some strong glasses because mm -hmm. he could not, see. but it's just like, you may not have detected that mm -hmm. as a single teacher in the classroom. Yeah. So, so, so working like, together gives some unexpected benefits. Like these weren't things mm -hmm. that you were thinking about a student needs, you know, his eyes checked. Right. Uh, yeah. That's great. And, and so like they could focus, like one person could focus on that student for a day and just observe to see what was happening. And mm -hmm. then it could end up like not being what they initially thought. Mm -hmm. So it's a more equitable situation, even for students as well as for the teacher candidates. Yeah. But we've mentioned uh, several things you've done. Uh, you've been involved in the uh, MTEP program. Uh, you've been an AMTE president uh, from 2011 to 2013. You've done a lot of different things. Um, how did you get, how did you start to get involved in, in some of these other things, uh, some, some leadership roles and maybe rope that in with uh, what advice would you give to others who are wanting to get involved in some other leadership roles? Uh, <clears throat> when, um, when my dissertation was kind of one of the first equity-based mm -hmm. dissertations. And so um, 
I was recommended to be on different um, writing groups when I first started teaching. Like I was recommended to be on the Nate monographs and the, um, the Faces books, Changing Faces of Mathematics mm-hmm. book series. So that enabled me to really get into publishing early on because of, of my dissertation work. And then um, one of the things too that I learned early on was uh, like not to overwhelm yourself as an assistant professor mm-hmm. to, you know, to have like your department chair to say no to something. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. that the things that you say yes to, you can do well and, um, and not feel like you can't accomplish them. And so, um, so that was kind of helpful for me is to, um, to be able to go to my mentors for advice about what to accept and what not to accept as a responsibility. And then also I, um, I served on conference program committees. Mm-hmm. I did things that were not scholarly, you know, not scholarly, but they were helpful to the organizations. Mm-hmm. And so doing some of those kinds of things helps. And then they also um, enable people to get to know you, to see you in different venues. So being on a program committee may take a lot of work, but it benefits you in the long run. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and like I said, being a, when you say yes, be able to, do the work well so that people build confidence in you as someone that will get the job done if you ask them um, to do it. And then, um, but now it's like, (laughs) I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) That's how you get put into uh, acting department uh, (laughs) leadership, right? Yeah. But, um, but, but I think being able to, to weigh things, being involved at starting out levels where it may not be like the most popular committee in the organization, but it's the committee where work needs to be done. And then you do that work and you do it well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and being a part of major organizations in your field, like um, I started out being a member of I've been a member of NCTM since graduate school, um, since I learned what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been a member of it. Um, AMTE, once I learned about it, I became a member of it and have been active in it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out actually presenting probably at RCDPM, which is now RCML. Okay. It's a okay. small conference. One of my um, colleagues told me about when I was at the University of Kentucky. And then, so so getting involved in smaller conferences too can help people mm-hmm. to find out what their um, group, you know, which group they feel they most belong mm-hmm. to. Because the RCDPM was a smaller group initially, and now it's called RCML. And I think um, it's still a smaller group and a smaller conference, but I think it enables people to interact with a smaller group and then branch out. But, but I also felt like um, AMTE, once I joined it, was the perfect group for me. Mm. So I think um, 
if you're a math teacher educator, being a member of AMT is really, really important. And now um, there are so many more um, opportunities for people to receive access to professional development from AMT beyond the conference. Like mm-hmm. now have like these podcasts, we have the webinars. Um, and the community circles so, too. The community yep. circles have just, well, that's just been, that's almost two years old now, right? Yeah, yeah. Circles. And, um, and just even some of the publications that AMTE mm-hmm. has now that we didn't have in the past, we had the monographs and they were great, but now we have these different um, series that focus on particular aspects of mathematics education. And so I think those are really helpful for people as well. And so, um, so I th- and then also um, finding a writing group that you belong to um, and for people who are just graduating, becoming a star fellow is really something beneficial. Um, I know people who were in the first cohort and they still come back to AMTE for star meetings, Mm -hmm. free sessions, because they really love being a part of that group. And um, and I've contributed funds to that group because I really believe in what it does for helping people to launch their careers. And so, um, I mean, just for for novice people, just get engaged in the field, um, mm-hmm. and and um, and really seek out help for the problems of practice that you need help with, and and. Um, and like I said, AMTE now has like a lot of um, resources available for people, both on the website and and like you said, with the community circles and and other things that enable people to be more successful. Yeah. Because I know like the STARS group, I mean, that is a powerful network. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they've been growing and they've been uh, and, and there's there's still a lot of interest, like you said, even from those folks from that first cohort that was over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was in 2012 was my cohort and just submitted something that I did with one of my fellow uh, uh, star fellows, <laughs> fellow fellows uh, to the MTE journal. And we presented on it multiple times at AMT. And it's just like so it's it's a it's a it's a group that also, you know, engages with each other, but then gives back into the community so that then other people can, you know, it's like a building snowball sort of thing. So it's kind of beautiful. Nice. So Marilyn, since you do a lot of things, do you have any secrets or, or uh, um, strategies that you use to help you get things done? Well, um, I try to be organized. And I try to prioritize my time as much as possible. Um, and I try to work with people who have the same, um, determination and excitement about the work that I'm doing. Um, also I try to find some balance as much as possible in terms of, um, doing the work, but then also trying to exercise and live (laughs) and, you know, enjoy family because it, it helps you, like, if you're satisfied in your um, 
I guess, physical and emotional well-being part of your life, then it enables you to do your work mm-hmm. better. Yeah, that's great. And you stay healthier. <laughs> yes. So so uh, we're coming kind of to the end of the conversation. Uh, I know you've been involved with the uh, Mathematics Teacher Education Partnership, uh, in particular, uh, one of those research action clusters that you mentioned. Uh, besides that, is there anything that else that you have to promote uh, that you'd like for us to, to uh, let the, our <clears throat> listeners know about? Well, we're going to put links oh, to everything did. that you mentioned. So like, yeah. at, and I've got a list already. So MTEP and the AMTE standards and NCTM, NCSM, RCML, it, we'll, we'll mention those already. So like anything else, <laughs> anything else. To- yeah, yeah. Well, I have a um, publication that recently got a chapter in a book that uh, recently got published. Um, Great. It's relating back to one of the, earlier projects that I started in my career is um, using multicultural literature as a context for mathematical problem solving. And the publication is Developing Mathematical Literacy Through Adult, Through Adolescent, let me start that one over. (laughs) Okay, so the publication is Developing Mathematical Literacy Through Adolescent Literature, and the editors are Paula Greathouse and Holly Garrett Anthony. And I have a chapter in it called Extracting Mathematical Topics Embedded in Holes. It's a children's literature. The, book. the Lewis Sakar book? Holes? Yes. Oh, great. Yes. And examining the text with a critical lens. And so um, this is co authored with um, one of my language arts um, professors here and one of my um, graduate students. Oh, and so, so it was really fun for us to do it. And it was exciting because he brought another lens to the mm-hmm. work. And, um, but um, that's something that's coming out. Well, it's nice. already out. You can't that's see great. it, <laughs> but it's already out. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> we can put a then, link to it. Um, yeah, so, and then we also have some more chapters coming out in, um, what do I do with that? Another information age publication um, is called Preparing Quality Teachers, Advances in Clinical Practice. And the editors are Drew Polly and Eva Guerin. And so we have um, a chapter in there about pair placement and one related to the method subrep. Great. So we'll get we'll get links to those things so people can hear about that, get excited about it, find out where they can read more. That's wonderful, Marilyn. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on. That's great. Uh, Thank you. Hopefully I didn't ramble too much. No, you did great. You did great. (laughs) Uh, Thanks again to you all for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. And speaking of interacting, uh, what do you want to hear about in upcoming podcasts? And who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. You can find it at the Contact Us page at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com or in the show notes for this episode. Also, uh, did you know that AMT has another podcast, the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast? Uh, The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal and has authors join host Ava Thanheiser as they discuss the work 
they have published in the journal. You can find a link to the MTE podcast website in the show notes for this episode.